Amen. Give the Lord a hand again. Just praise Him in this place. I tell you, I almost didn't want to stop singing there. I just I started to tell Zach, let's just keep going. Because, you know, for us to be able to declare that is such a privilege and such, such an opportunity. And we're going to get to do it in eternity for all, all our days. But, oh, how we get to be able to just catch a glimpse as he prayed a moment ago. Just catch a glimpse of being able to praise him like we do. I hope and pray that you've experienced that victory already and that you see victory itself as it relates to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn there. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11 in a moment. And really the whole Revelation is about that victory. It's about what God is going to do as he gives us that ultimate victory in him as he consummates that victory for us one day. But what we know is this, that before the victory gets here, God has called us to be faithful on this side, and he wants us to draw strength from him. He wants us to be encouraged no matter what we go through. Through the trials, he wants us to see the treasures. And through the trials, he wants us to see the triumph that is to come. That's what he says as he speaks to this church in Smyrna, a church that's located just north of Ephesus. Remember last week we talked about the church in Ephesus? We talked about how God was trying to stir within them so that they would come back and they would love him like they once did, that God wanted to ignite a new passion within them. Well, this church, the church at Smyrna, it's not about love. They love the Lord. As a matter of fact, they are serving faithfully. This church this church will receive no type of condemnation from Jesus. As a matter of fact, this is a church that is serving faithfully. But you know, sometimes when you are serving faithfully and you're just going about your business, it may seem like you are unnoticed, maybe even unnamed. You know, you, you've been there before. Like, you've, you've been about your business. Maybe you went to a party. You kind of stood to the side. You were there pushed back in the room, and you wanted to engage, but it was just kind of like one of those things like, it just doesn't seem like anybody's really talking to me. You, maybe you tried to start a conversation, and maybe you went up to that person you had met like eight times, remember? And they asked what your name was still. Mm. That hurt, and that was painful. And you felt like you had been unnoticed. And in that case, even unnamed. You know, there are sometimes we go about life like, Lord, are we unnoticed down here? God, are you really looking and seeing what's going on? God, are you seeing what's happening in my family? Are you seeing what's happening in my life? And there may be those times where you feel like you've been a little bit forgotten. Well, I want to speak to you just as Christ spoke to this church, the church of Smyrna, to remind you, as he reminded them, that he sees you and he knows you. He sees your trials. He sees your treasures. But he also sees your triumph. Let's look at this together. Beginning verse 8. It says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write. So it is to the angel or the messenger or the pastor that Jesus is speaking. So that this messenger will turn around and give it to the church itself. It says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. So this is Jesus. Jesus is speaking these words. The one that was dead... The, this is a reference to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the one who is now alive. Jesus is speaking. And he says, I know. I know for a fact. I can see you. I know what's going on in your life. I know every, I know every challenge. 
I know every weakness. I know every strength. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So here's Jesus speaking to this church that's going through so much. And he says, I see you. I know you. I know your trials. I see the pressure that you are under. Literally, if you look in verse 9, it says your tribulation. The word tribulation means like pressure. That there is some type of intense pressure that is coming upon the church's life. You ever feel like you're living under pressure? Like maybe at school, maybe in your family, maybe at work. There's just like these exterior forces that are coming at you and they're like forcing pressure upon you from every side. Well, for the church at Smyrna, they had pressure coming from every side. They were living in an area that was totally devoted to the Romans. I mean, Rome loved this city. As a matter of fact, this was probably the most Roman city of all of Asia Minor because they were devoted to Rome. Well, that wasn't a good thing for Christians back then. For you to be devoted to Rome, and then you have a city in which there are Christians that are there, there's pressure that's going to come from that Roman angle, from the pagan area. But also the Bible says that the Jewish population... They're putting pressure upon the Christians. Why? Maybe because Christians are making inroads. There are a lot of converts coming out of the synagogues, and they're pushing back. So all of these people, there's a lot of pressure that they're finding upon the church. Maybe you can, again, sympathize with them a little bit about the pressure that you feel in your life. But notice, again, this pressure is brought about by persecution. Persecution. This is real persecution. It says that Satan himself, Satan is what? In the Hebrew, Satan is the adversary. He is the enemy. That's what it means. He is the adversary. When you look at the word devil in the New Testament, it means something like the slanderer, the accuser, the one that is coming to bring charges against God's people. So what you have here is you have this persecution that's been ignited by Satan himself, the accuser. He's coming against the church. You and I need to remember this. You and I need to remember that the enemy is never flesh and blood. Like right now, I know we've got a lot of pressure around us, and you may may know this, you may not know this, but like this is like election year. Did you know that? And I haven't said a whole lot, and I'm not going to say a whole lot except this. I'm ready for this to be over with. I'm ready for it to all kind of come to that day and everything be concluded because of the pressure that you kind of feel, the tension that you feel in the air. When you recognize, though, that other people have, well, they have different political views. Do you know they're not your enemy? Just because somebody disagrees with you politically does not mean that they're your enemy. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. You, you may disagree with somebody. That's cool. 
Your enemy is not some other individual that you can look at that has flesh. Your enemy is Satan, the one who wants to blind you, the one who wants to make you trip up, the one who wants to deceive you. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, it's really Satan. It is really the devil, the accuser that's coming against you. He may be utilizing people. And he was utilizing people. The pagans, for example, brought all kinds of slander against early Christians. They brought all kinds of charges against early Christians. Did you know that they believed early Christians were atheists? It sounds laughable today, does it not? But they would say, oh, Christians are atheists. Why would they say that? Because the Romans and the Greeks had all type of gods. They had this pantheon of all kinds of gods. And Christians would say, hey, those gods are not real. There's not such. There's only one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when they made that proclamation, that meant that the pagans would think, well, they don't believe in the gods. They're atheists. You know what else they believed? And they brought charges against Christians because they believed that Christians practiced infanticide. Where would you get that kind of idea? Well, the message of the gospel is what? The Father loved this world, and He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, so that Jesus would suffer and die on our behalf so that we could have salvation. So for pagans, they were like, well, they're teaching that this Father sent His Son to die. That's infanticide. They also believed that Christians were cannibals. Where would you get that? Some of you probably got it now. He's like, yeah, that's easy. I understand. Lord's Supper, right? Yes, Lord's Supper. Remember where it talks that we are eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood? Well, what the pagans would do is they would go out and they would say, hey, look at what they're doing. They're eating blood. They're eating or they're drinking blood. They're eating flesh. They're cannibals. So can you imagine all this stuff coming at the early church? And they're getting all these charges that are false. I could tell you other charges that they had brought. They're false. And sometimes you as a believer, you're going to have false accusations lobbed at you as well. Oh, you're part of that church. You're part of that kind of ideology. You're part of that radical movement. You'll have, you'll have those things come at you as well. But remember, that's not empowered by flesh and blood. That's empowered by Satan himself. It says even the Jews again were coming against those early Christians. It says that this was the synagogue, which means gathering of Satan. Now, I need to say this. You and I in the church world need to be very careful that we do not communicate in any way an anti-Semitic type of message. Unfortunately, through church history, there have been times that Christians, or those in name at least, they were Christians, they looked at what had happened and how the Jews had pushed back in those early days, and they labeled those Jews as a radical type of people, and thus they promoted hate. That is never what we should be doing in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is not what the Scripture is saying here. Rather, what, what John is saying is just what Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, is that you are not truly of the faith of the Jews if you have not surrendered yourself to the Lord Jesus. That's what he says in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. But yet all this pressure is coming and all this persecution is happening. Again, they are slandering. 
the early church. They are slandering the brothers and sisters in Christ. They are persecuting them. And this is real persecution. You know, you and I, we live, look, no matter what you think, we live still in a pretty blessed and free country today. Now, we've got our problems. We all do. But we still have the opportunity to gather like we are in this place. When I hear people talk about persecution, I'm not sure we can really identify with true persecution, not in the United States. Yes, there are slanderers. Yes, there are those things happening. But you and I do not know the persecution like the first church did. In no way do we know the persecution like this church did. Because as they stood for their faith, they were literally killed. Fast forward 60 years after the revelation was written. 60 years. There was a man named Polycarp. If any of you are church history people or you like history, you ought to go back and read a little bit about Polycarp. He was the disciple of John himself. And Polycarp was one of the first martyrs of that church, of that New Testament church. It's actually, second century is when he was martyred. But he was 86 years old. He was brought before the Roman governor and before those who were there. And basically, they told him, Polycarp, if you will just recant your faith, if you'll just say that you don't believe in Jesus, you go on believing in your own way, but as long as you just confess that you don't believe him, then we'll let you go. And you know what Polycarp said? Something like this. According to the historical records, he said, 86 years I've served him, and never has he let me down. He has given me no reason to deny him, and I will not begin to deny him now. 86 years old. In Smyrna, this city, that's where he was. Like 60 years after, after John was writing about persecution, there Polycarp is, and he stands. And you know what they do? Is they put him at the stake, and they begin to burn him. But you ought to read again the account because the eyewitnesses said it was like his flesh was not being consumed by the fire. Rather, he just turned like this red shade, like he was in an oven, like he was just being cooked, warmed up just a little bit. That's all he looked like. And that finally, the officials told the soldiers to go and to kill him with a dagger so that he would die. That's persecution. Not really what you and I are facing today. But a few years ago, I read a book called The Insanity of God. They also made a movie about it, so if you don't read, you might go back and watch the movie. Or some of you say, I read enough, I'm not reading anything else. Watch the movie. It talks about persecution that still exists. For while I tell you that persecution does not necessarily exist in the United States like it did during the first century world, persecution still does exist. Oh, yeah, it does. Do you realize that some of your brothers and sisters in Christ right now across this globe have gathered in places where they would not be detected by the government? Places where they cannot as freely give their testimony and their faith as we as we can all over this globe and always remember the words of Nick Ripkin as he said to us 
We should not look at just the American church. We should not just see like the American church here, the Chinese church there, the Middle East church there. We shouldn't look at it that way. What we should look at is, it's the church. And you and I have brothers and sisters in Christ across this globe that are facing persecution today. And because of that, we ought to be praying for them. We ought to be lifting them up. We ought to be praying that God would give them the courage that they need to stand effectively and to share to share who Christ is with those around. You see, there is real persecution. There's pressure and there's persecution that comes. Jesus sees all those things. He sees those trials. He even knows when they suffer financially. He sees their poverty. Did you notice this about the Scripture? It says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty. Your poverty. Why are they poor? It is because of their faith. Because now that they've expressed their faith in Christ, they're not being hired by certain trade guilds. They're not being able to participate in the workforce. Maybe their stores, if they had owned them, those stores had been destroyed because the anti-Christian, the devilish forces have pushed against them. So they are poor. So all this is happening. And I believe at some point, I mean, I don't know if it ever happens to you. It happens to me that I look at God and say, God, why? Or I say, God, are you noticing this? You haven't taken a break, have you? And I know that's hard to confess. Maybe you never say anything like that to God, but there are moments in my life where I'm like, God, I just, I just need you to check in if you can and just show me that you see what's happening. And that's what he does with the church at Smyrna. He says, hey, I see you. I know I know the trials, and these are real trials that you are going through. I know this. But note, he also says, I see the treasures that you have. He says, you are are in poverty, you're poor, but you're also rich. Let me show you some treasures maybe that come in the trials. One is this. You and I can always know that there's purpose in the midst of chaos. That there's purpose in the midst of chaos. That's a treasure. I mean, to know that there's purpose, that God can work in his own way, I, I, hope, you, I hope you see that as a treasure in your life. What, what he says here in verse 10 is, he says, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. By the way, that's not the answer I would have wanted from Jesus. Like if Jesus was coming to talk to me about my persecution, I would not want him to say, hey, you got more coming. Right? I mean, isn't that what he's, he's like, oh, there's actually going to be some of you thrown in prison before long. Just get ready. That's encouraging Jesus. Thank you. There are times when I pray and say, God, I just want this to be over now. Any of you ever pray, like, in the last few months, like, God, would you just take this COVID stuff now? A little bit, yeah, okay, I hope so. Somebody better be praying. But I've been praying, Lord, you just take it. And he's like, well, not quite yet. We got a little more, got a little more. Here's the persecution. I'm sure they had cried out to God, God, bring an end to this persecution. Jesus comes and said, hey, it's not over yet. It's going to be a few more days. Some of you are going to be thrown in prison. But get this, here it is. Here's the purpose. Verse 10, it says that you may be tested. That you may be tested. 
The word test in the Greek is where we get our English term pirate from. There have been many days I feel like I've been pirated. Like all of a sudden the pirates jumped on my ship and they started causing all type of chaos. And trials will be like that. Trials will be like pirates that come all of a sudden. But here this word for pirate, this word to be tested also means this. To try to learn the nature or character of someone or something by submitting such to thorough and extensive testing. In other words, God's got a purpose. He uses pressure and He uses persecution to even refine your life. It's like that gold that's refined by the fire, right? That He burns off certain areas. He allows you to go through trials so that you can grow in Him. There's purpose. So you're not just broke. You're actually rich because you're learning through this process because God does not waste a trial. God's going to use that trial. In James chapter 1, James had said that certain trials will produce endurance and strength for you. Now, I don't always know exactly how he's going to do it. This week, somebody texted me, and they said, um, Reggie, why would God allow this to happen to my family? And it's a very difficult situation that they're facing. Very difficult. It's a health issue, physical issue that's coming at them. And this one just texted and just asked me quite frankly, why would God allow this? And I hate to tell you, I've been through the seminary. I've, look, I went through the best, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, which we talked about a lot earlier. By the way, I didn't say this, but Cassidy, you're going in January, right? Don't fail me and go to one of those other ones. New Orleans, you're going... I've been in seminary. I've had all these different courses. I've got all these different things. And you know what? There's still times I look at people and say, I don't know. And I text back and I said, I don't know exactly why. I don't. I wish I did. I've gone on behalf of families in our church and families in other churches that I've served. And I've seen the brokenness in their lives. And I've actually prayed and said, God, why would you? Why would you allow this right now? I I don't know. I don't understand, God, why. I don't always understand why, but I know this. God can take some of the most difficult trials of your life and mine, and He can use it to grow us into His image, conform us into His purpose and plan. I believe that. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that God can take everything, all things, good, bad, all of it, and He can wrap it all up and work it out into something that will be good for you and glorious to Him. And I have to believe that each day as I go about ministry. You and I need to know that there are treasures in the midst of the trials, that there's growth that can happen, Hey, there are spiritual treasures that we can have. We may be physically in a position, like physically poor, which I would say none of us in this place really are, but we could be something like that. Even if everything else was taken from us, do you recognize what treasure we would have in Christ? You and I, we have been saved If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't necessarily assume everybody in here has done that, 
But there are probably many that have. And if you've given your life to Christ, if you have surrendered to him fully, then that means you have salvation. Do you, you have salvation. You have been forgiven of your sins. You could have never bought that with your money. That was given to you with grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have treasure. Jesus said, you may look like you're poor, but you are rich. You've got salvation. I would suggest to you that when you go through trials, you have his word to guide you. You can read this. I mean, this is a resource for us, a guide for us. We, we can go to him in prayer. Do you realize we have access to the Father? That when we go to these moments, we can go right to him and say, God, we need you. Do you realize... Do you realize you have the Holy Spirit living within you? If you are a believer in Christ, hear me. If you're a believer in Christ, that means the Holy Spirit lives right in you. You're rich. You're not poor. You've got all type of treasures. And all these things should be an added comfort to you as well. It is comfort in the midst of pain. How can you have comfort in the midst of pain? Through Jesus Christ alone. That's how you can have comfort in the midst of pain. He's writing to a church, he's going through all these tough times, these trials, and he says, You can have treasures. You can have Christ Himself as you walk through these moments. Hey, first Peter chapter five. I want to look just a moment at a few verses there. I know it's getting close to the end. We're going to close it out, but on Wednesday nights I've been preaching through First Peter. I'm getting close to the end. Sometimes people say, are you almost finished with this series? And I don't know if it's because they're so excited about it, of finishing up, or they just can't get enough of it. I'm going to go with the latter. That's what I'm going to believe at least, all right? But First Peter, I've been preaching on for some time on Wednesday nights. It's all about suffering, actually. Because when I look at the Scripture, persecution was a mark of the true church in those early days. And 1 Peter is all about persecution. Peter's writing to those who are persecuted. Chapter 5, verse 6, he's getting ready to end his letter, and he says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Oh, let me read that again. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says, you're going to go through difficulties, but this is what I want to point out, because this is a treasure, I believe. You can cast all your cares upon him. The word for care is actually the word anxiety. He said, you can submit to me. To submit to God is what he's saying. By casting all your anxieties upon him, upon God. Because God's big enough to take it. Always is. Hey, I gave this example the other night. I want to give it to you. 
So some of you may not know this. It is North Louisiana. It's usually published in the paper and all the other things, but usually it doesn't have to be because everybody knows. It's, it's like getting toward hunting season, like deer hunting season, which is a big deal in North Louisiana. If you haven't figured that out yet, you will. It's one of the reasons my face has uh, changed a little bit in form because uh, it is hunting season. I'm trying to get some camouflage a little bit. And uh, so l- let's say that this afternoon that you and I, we decide to go and get prepped for deer season, and we go decide to buy some deer corn, okay? You got to have deer corn if you're a deer hunter and all that kind of stuff. So let's say we're going to go do that. We're going to, you and I, we're going to go do it. We get out to the store. I decide, hey, we need to buy three 50-pound bags of deer corn. And here we are. Like, I go over. I pick up that 50-pound. And I have no trouble at all picking that 50-pound bag up. You can tell by looking at me. I would have no trouble doing that. I would pick it up. I'd bring it back. We'd put it in the truck or whatever else. We're doing that. Well, let me back up a minute. Let's say we go into the store and... I know it sounds crazy, but let's say that they've got this great deal on, but the reason they have a great deal is they figured out how to package 150 pounds in a bag. And we decide, hey, we're just going to get that, and we're just going to get one bag. And I'll go over to you, and i say, hey, I'm, I'm going go, to go get this 150-pound bag. I'm going to pick it up and take it to the truck. You believe I could do that? couple of you non-believers in this place, I pray you get saved as the service ends in just a few moments. So you say, no, I'm, I'm saved, I'm just a realist. Amen. So you recognize that, that I probably, is all my physical physique, and you know what, you'd probably be right. I probably could do 140 pounds, but not 150 pounds, all right? Probably couldn't do that. You know, because I don't have the strength. I don't have strength. Why do I tell you that? Because when you go through trials, you need to know that you, are, you have a treasure. You have a treasure in Christ Jesus himself. Why? Because he can carry every anxiety for you. Because he's big enough, he's strong enough, he can carry anything. What's happening is, some of us are so prideful, we can't give it over to the Lord. We're going to keep it for ourselves. And what we do is we carry around our 150 pounds of anxiety. And it's going to hurt us. It's going to destroy us. And yet, we keep clinging on to it when all we need to do is just give it to Jesus. And right now, some of you may have anxiety all around you. You got to cast it to him. The word is throw it to him. Throw it upon him. It's present tense, which means you keep on throwing it. Every time that anxiety comes, you throw it back because when you go through trials, you have a treasure in Jesus Christ who will carry your burdens for you. And I think that's what he, you are rich. You are rich because not only are there trials and even treasures along the way, but eventually there is triumph. Eventually there is triumph. Back to Revelation 2. There it says in verse 10, you will have tribulation 10 days. So you say, what? Is the significance of 10 days. I have no clue. I mean, I just don't know. There's some of these 
symbolic things here, numbers. I, I could come up with something. I could sound very, very uh, smart to you. I have no idea. I've read the commentaries. There is no agreement. I don't know. Well, why did you even read it? Why didn't you just skip over it? Because of this. There is a set time of suffering and trial. Ten days. Whatever that means, whether it's ten literal days, whether it's being symbolic about a few weeks or years or whatever else, let me just say to you, it's going to come, but it is going to end. Because Jesus Christ is still in control. He has never ceded authority to anybody else. So when you go through a trial, know that trial will be there. It's real, but it will end at some point. That's what he says. He says it's going to last ten days, and then it's over with. Why? Because Jesus is in charge, and he'll call it to an end. At some point, he allows you to go through it, but he calls it to a close. It is a fixed time. It is temporary. And look, I know lately... At least for me, we went through this COVID thing, and I've been praying like, it can't last much longer. It can't last. How wrong have I been? It still keeps going on. I know. But you know, with Christ, it will come to an end. At some point, it is a fixed trial. It is a fixed suffering. And then look what he says. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. The word crown there is the word for a garland that they would place upon the athletic victor's head. That is, once you won the race, this would be the victor's crown. And he says, what's going to happen is, you're going to finish your race, and I am going to give you the victor's crown. And then he says in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He said... You overcome, there's no second death for you. And see, verse 11 is where, I, is where I see why I like Greek so much. Because the Greek language is so much like the Mississippi language. What do I mean by that? They love double negatives. They love it. You know what the Greek is here? It's a double negative in the Greek. It, mean, it means like you will know never, er, never, never. Be hurt by the second death. Not never. That kind of hurts some of your ears, doesn't it? But the Greeks would use that as emphasis. See, that's the reason we Mississippi people, we very cultured like the Greeks. They would use it for emphasis. Second death's not going to hurt you. Remember how Jesus comforted his disciples when they were being persecuted? He had told them they were blessed, they could be happy. But he also said this. He said, fear the, do not fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill the soul. You know what Jesus just said there? He said, don't worry about it. All they can do to you is kill you. I never found a whole lot of comfort in that until just recently. Like he just said, Jesus just said, don't worry, all they can do is kill you. But what he also said was, they can kill you, but there's something better. There's victory. There's triumph. There's no reason to live in fear. Oh, what was the word? Do not fear. Do not fear. Don't live in fear. All they can do is kill you here. You got something better. And it is life eternal with him.
I don't in one minute diminish the trials that people are going through. They are real. And the pain, it is authentic. But I want you to know today that if you're in this place, even if you feel like you've been unnoticed and unnamed, that today in this place, God sees your trials. He sees every one of them. But He also wants you to join Him in seeing the treasures that you have. He wants you to catch a glimpse, just as He's already got this big glimpse, of the victory. Don't live in fear. Don't live defeated. But live faithfully each day. Be faithful to the cause of Christ. Be faithful to what He wants to do in your life, what He wants to accomplish. Because you have something so much better than what you could ever know in this world. There is a victor's crown that awaits those who have served faithfully and who have given their lives by faith and trust to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, I pray for those maybe that have not accepted you as Lord and Savior. I said earlier in this message that I do not make any assumptions. I I can't afford to do that, Lord. Because there may be some watching today or some in this place that have never trusted you fully. And if that is the case, Lord, I pray that you would convict their hearts and call them to you. Lord, I pray that you do a work in them. Father, there are many who are saved, but God, they're feeling the pressure. They're feeling the trials. God, I pray that you'd show them the treasure and that you'd give them a sense of victory. Lord, that they would trust you even this day and they'd cast their cares upon you. Lord, we know that we'll be victorious because the one who spoke to Smyrna was the one who was dead and is alive. And God, we know that even as we face all the difficulties, even death itself, Lord, that we have life in you. Because if you gave power for the resurrection, there is power for daily life. There is power for us to serve and be faithful each day. God, I pray now that you would allow us to enter into this moment of commitment. Publicly declare our faith in you, trust you, just bow at your feet and give you all of our anxiety. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.